Welcome to this podcast from Smyrna Baptist Church in Dinwiddie, Virginia. Smyrna Baptist exists to make disciples for the glory of Jesus Christ, and our prayer is that this podcast would be used to the same end. We hope that you find this content to be meaningful and helpful as you journey on with Christ in the coming days. Point to Ponder, October 23rd, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary defines faith as allegiance to duty or a person, belief and trust in and loyalty to God or traditional doctrines of a religion, something that is believed, especially a system of religious belief, such as the Protestant faith. I like the briefest definition, quote, complete trust. My overall favorite definition of faith is found in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, quote, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It is the ever-present trust for the fulfillment of the goals set before us at the expected end. For believers in Christ, us Christ followers, that would be eternal, everlasting life, with and in the service of Christ Jesus on the other side. Back in Genesis 12, we see a course change for all humanity conducted by God with the call of one man. Abram, meaning exalted father, was raised in a pagan, idolatrous household, culture, and nation. Joshua 24, verses 2 and 3, provides some background on him before and after his call by God. Jewish tradition has his father as well to do an idol merchant. Abram, at some point, while still in his native country of Ur, of the Chaldeans in the Babylonian region, is called by the Lord God, and he has provided what amounts to the beginning of a covenant, an agreement and promise. Who initiated the covenant? None other than the Lord God himself. How did Abraham recognize God? A simple answer is when God decides to make himself known, he does. The Midrash records Abram was dissatisfied with idols, the sale of idols, and apparently the worship of idols. A story exists of how his father, Terah, was away, and Abram took a hammer and broke all the idols in the family shop, except for the largest one. Upon his father's return and questioning of Abram, Abram said the one remaining idol broke the other idols. According to the Midrash, this was an attempt by Abram to prove the senselessness in placing faith or belief in idols. The Lord God's call to Abram is in two parts. Number one, an imperative for Abram, and number two, promises from God. First, Abram must depart from his country, his kinfolk, and his father's house. We know from Genesis 11, 31 and 32, that Terah took Abram, his wife Sarai, and Lot, then departed Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. They arrived at Haran and dwelt there. What we do not know is the amount of time expended from the departure from Ur, Terah's death at 205 years, and Abram's departure from Haran. What we do know is that Abram was 75 years of age when he departed from Haran. God knew Abram. God knew he would leave Ur of the Chaldeans and eventually roam the land of Canaan, the land God promised him. Abram seemed to be at peace, allowing the events to unfold as determined by God. This sequencing of events led eventually to a second time God showed, now Abraham, a geographical location in the land of Moriah. This was for Abraham's benefit. Sometimes, when reading Genesis 22, we think of the test Abraham was presented in a negative sense. I cannot help but imagine that it was somewhat nerve-wracking for him to endure those three days of knowing he had already sacrificed Isaac in his heart and mind, according to Hebrews 11:17. Even as he grasped the throat of the sacrificial animal, Isaac, preparing to make a fatal slice, he endured because he rested on God and God's promise. He reasoned God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. This cemented Abraham's trust in God. In Abraham's heart and mind, God already knew. In this earthly journey, we must remember to forever look to God and focus on Him. 
He already knows where we are and where we will be. He already knows what we will encounter and must endure. Hang in there. God started it, and he will finish it. Point to Ponder, October 24th, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Before the verse chosen for today's Point to Ponder is written in the Bible, it is preceded by a quote from Isaiah 52, 7. Paul, quoting Isaiah, says, quote, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. The point of this passage of Scripture, Romans 10, is that the truth of Christ, His Word, the Gospel, must be proclaimed if others are going to be saved. Not only is the message to be proclaimed, but it must also be proclaimed by someone who is sent to speak the message of Christ. Not only must the messenger be sent, but he must also preach the good news of the sacrificial and atoning work of Christ on the cross for our sins. This news must be heard, believed, and then the hearer must respond with saving faith in Jesus and this truth for salvation. The order would look something like this, sending, preaching, hearing, believing, and calling on God. Our text for today is the conclusion of that process. It says, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. I like the Holman Christian Standard translation on this verse. It says, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes from the message about Christ. It is very clear, the message is the truth, containing all the facts about who Jesus is and what he did to save us. In other words, here the preaching is defined. It is the word of Christ. The preacher does not have the right to preach whatever he wants. He must preach the factual biblical word of Christ. It's the same gospel that Paul has been preaching all through the book of Romans. In Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, is the confession based on the truth that has been proclaimed and heard. Saving faith believes facts. It is more than believing in facts, but not less. The history, saving faith, believes in the resurrection from Jesus as the dead and the historical fact. It really happened in space and time. Saving faith believes that. This is one reason faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior can be so weak in so many. Faith is rooted in facts, and for many the facts are not known. The Gospels are there to give us the precious facts with all their personal and powerful significance. The facts are basic but essential. As we consider Brother Tony's message Sunday that God is the initiator of our faith, Rejoice in the fact that he involves humanity in the process. As people are sent with the good news of Jesus, it is his prompting and calling that sends them. He is the one behind the beautiful feet that bring the word of Christ to the lost. My mind drifts back to the words penned first by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 52 of the book of Isaiah, where he wrote, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I wonder if when he wrote that he remembered his own call recorded back in Isaiah 6, where God asked this question, Who will go for me? Thousands of years ago, God was still doing it the same way. He touched the heart and mind of one of his own who saw his glory, felt his burden for the lost, and went with the word of Christ because it is this word, proclaimed by God's servants, that is the basis for saving faith in others who hear and believe. Dear ones, I am so thankful and relieved that as I sit here typing today, I am reminded that another person's salvation is not dependent upon my charisma, brains, eloquence of speech, or anything in me. I find great comfort knowing that all I or any of us need to do is share the word of Christ, and those who hear and believe it will be saved. It is God's message, God's will, and God's work that gets the job done. We are, by grace, instruments in the hands of our great God, delivering the simple message of Christ that he has given us to proclaim. Point to Ponder, October 25th, Genesis 15:6, and Hebrews 11, 17-19. The Bible tells us that Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, Genesis 15, 6. 
This simply means that he took God at his word and believed the Father's promises to him pertaining to the covenant of Genesis 15. The simple point that I want to make today is that Abraham was given a clear word from God and he believed what God said and demonstrated it in obedience. Keep in mind that God spoke to him audibly through a vision which is, for the most part, unlike how he speaks today. In Hebrews 1, we are told, quote, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, verses 1 and 2. During the lifetime of Abraham, God spoke through visions, dreams, the angels, and himself. In our day, these last days, God has spoken through Jesus Christ, and it is written in his inerrant word, the Bible. We should not often expect that God is going to speak with us the way he did with Abraham, Noah, Moses, and others. He has spoken in finality through Jesus. Now as we get back to Abraham, I remind you again that he had received a clear, intelligible word from God. The question now would be what he would do in response to that word. By the way, the same issue remains for us today. We read or hear the word of God spoken and are faced with what we will do in response. We are not left to wonder what Abraham did. The Bible records for us that he believed God and was counted as righteous. You must understand that the reason he was counted as righteous, saved, was not because of his works, but genuine faith. Paul goes to great lengths in the book of Romans to make the point that Abraham's righteousness was not gained by works, but rather by faith in the promises of God. Romans 4, 1-11 Remember that we are saved by grace, flowing through faith, and that not of works. Ephesians 2, 8 Abraham's faith honored God as trustworthy, as faithful, as capable, as God. Our faith is intended to do the same today. Do not fail to understand the depth to which Abraham's faith was tested. Brother Tony preached about the incredible faith demonstrated by Abraham in Genesis 22, where he was willing to sacrifice his own son Isaac simply because God told him to. The author of Hebrews writes, quote, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, he considered that God is able to raise people ever from the dead. Hebrews 11:17-19. Abraham had heard God tell him, "In Isaac your descendant shall be called." And this meant that Isaac had to live. I am sure that the request of God made to Abraham concerning Isaac was at first confusing. As he worked through it in his mind, he obviously came to believe that God would raise him from the dead since he was the seed of the promise. That, dear ones, is faith. Before you get too worried that God is going to require that of you tomorrow, keep in mind that Abraham had already walked with God by faith for many years. He and Sarah had experienced the miracle of Isaac's conception and birth through their old, worn-out bodies. Paul tells us that even though Abraham considered his body and Sarah's dead in regard to their ability to even have sex, much less conceive and have a son, he still believed God simply because God said it would be. That is faith. God is merciful and gracious in how he develops our faith through small steps. Trust Him in little things, and you will be able to trust Him in the greater challenges, and He will be able to trust you to represent Him well. God initiates, develops, and finishes our faith. To God be the glory. Point to Ponder, October 26th, Galatians 5, 6. Let's ask why genuine faith inevitably produces love, according to Galatians 5, 6. Paul isn't saying that we are justified by two things, faith and works of love. He is saying we are justified by one thing, faith, and this faith is of such a nature that it produces love like a good tree produces good fruit. Being a loving person is absolutely essential to being saved because the faith which saves, by its very essence, works through love. Therefore, it is tremendously important that we see how saving faith produces love. 
John Piper once wrote, quote, The heart that is set on faith desires the thrill of feeling God rise victoriously to a challenge in us and through us. Works wants the thrill of feeling itself overcome an obstacle. Faith wants the thrill of feeling God overcome an obstacle. Works longs for the love of being glorified as capable and strong and smart. Faith longs for the joy of seeing God glorified for His capability and His strength and His wisdom. In its religious form, works accepts the challenge of morality, conquers its obstacles through great exertion, and offers the victory to God for His gratitude and applause and recompense. Faith also accepts the challenge of morality, but only as an occasion to become the instrument of God's power, and when the victory is achieved, faith rejoices that all the glory and thanks belong to God. I sure enjoy the way he writes. So, how is love best defined in our passage for today? We love other people when we stop using them as a means to meet our needs and instead rejoice in the divine enablement for us to supply theirs. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, quote, Love does not seek its own, 1 Corinthians 13.5. And he told the Philippians, quote, Think more of others than you do yourself, Philippians 2.4. Now, how does faith inevitably make you into a person like that? Faith works in two ways. It produces love by what it takes away from the heart and by what it gives to the heart. Faith takes away from the heart guilt and fear and materialism. Faith takes away guilt because of forgiveness, grace, and mercy extend to us by Christ. It takes away fear because we know we are accepted by Christ and the acceptance and applause of man no longer grips us. Faith takes away materialism because it is confident that Christ has greater value than all the world offers. And all of our needs are met and supplied by Christ. So, faith pushes these things from our hearts. Faith also gives the heart a desire and love for the thrill of experiencing God's power moving in us and for us as we do His will. It allows us to trust God, to take Him at His word, and to experience life beyond our own limitations. Faith cherishes the moments of seeing God do great things and get the glory. Faith moves us to love people for their good and God's glory. What will propel you to greet strangers when you feel shy, to go to help someone or to be merciful to that person who has wronged you, to tithe when you've never tried it before, to speak to your co-workers about Christ, to invite new neighbors to a Bible study, to cross cultures with the gospel, or to admit that you need help? None of these costly acts of love just happen. They are propelled from the heart by a new appetite, an appetite created and sustained by faith. Piper said, faith pushes us into the current where God's power flows most freely, the current of love. To close today, I hope to cause you to allow the Spirit to examine your heart to exposing you the presence of this love, which will verify and confirm your faith, or will show you that your faith may not be saving faith at all. Where there is genuine saving faith, there will be love for God, for the things of God, and for the people. That love will be the greatest for the household of faith, but will extend to all people for the glory of God their good, and your joy. Point to Ponder, October 27th, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. At first blush, this text seems to be written by someone who is hopelessly naive. The idea that is presented to us that it is biblically legitimate and even commendable for faith to trump what seems obvious to our physical senses. How in the world could a person think that faith in God somehow negates or at least impacts what is so apparent? As Paul writes these words, my assumption is that he knew he would receive a certain level of pushback from the more practical amongst the Corinthians. He understood that faith in God required a certain level of trust that did not seem warranted to those who have not come to know the greatness and the trustworthiness of our great God. Nevertheless, Paul says that those who believe walk by faith. 
It strikes me that Abraham both literally and physically walked by faith and not sight in the case of Isaac. There is a famous scene in Genesis 22-7 where Isaac asked Abraham why they prepared everything for a sacrifice except the most important thing, the sacrifice itself. In that moment, Abraham didn't see God's solution, but he believed God anyway. This is faith. Abraham's faith was grounded in God's word. God had promised that he would provide Abraham a son who would be instrumental in forming a people as numerous as the sea. He further understood that God's instructions were always betrayed by more than meets the eye, and so he trusted God's character and obeyed his word. This is faith in a nutshell. Sometimes we must admit that we simply do not, indeed we cannot, see the whole picture. The fact that we don't see shouldn't shock us. We are limited, finite creatures, and this is where faith comes into the picture. You see, faith is not the absence of all sight. It is the assurance that the God we see clearly can be trusted. It is the recognition that we are not able to take into account all of the variables, but God is. It is the assurance that the God who has never lied before won't start lying today. It is the conviction that the God who has always prevailed with adequate might won't get weak in our time of need. It is the belief that the God who has never been surprised by a challenge won't be caught off guard in this moment. Our job is to walk in the light that God has given, trusting that the light that He reveals God is sufficient to guide us until we see more clearly what God is doing. Sometimes that takes years, decades, or even a lifetime, but it is not foolish, nor is it simple-minded. Folks, God is by definition greater than us. He has given us certain things we must abide by and certain principles with which we order our steps, but this does not mean that He gives all the answers to all the twists and turns of life. Instead, it is imperative that we understand that faith requires that we trust Him when we cannot see His plan. As the old adage goes, when we cannot see God's plan, we must trust His heart. Point to Ponder, October 28th, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. The real war to walk by faith is the tussle that occurs between our minds and the wills of God. Years ago, Ashley and I thought it would be wise to meet with some folks regarding our finances as we started out as a married couple. We put together a budget and began to chat with some other folks about various principles, and one of the pieces of feedback we received was that tithing was really holding us back from achieving our financial goals. The logic was simple. If you give less money to the church, you have more money to save and to spend. Simply stated, the understanding that was offered was very basic human logic. While we cannot argue that math tells us that giving less equals more, we must also realize that the Bible is clear that we are to give to God a portion of what He has given to us, and our conviction is that He will take care of our needs, even if the budget doesn't work out on the Excel spreadsheet. This is an example of the difference between those who lean on their own understanding and those who walk by faith. It is our understanding that is married, and often our understanding is the chief obstacle that a Christian must overcome. Our God does not work like logical human beings think He should. He uses the simple to shame the wise. He uses the needy to triumph over the wealthy, and He uses the weak to prevail over the strong. Think about it. Who would have concocted the story of God's redemptive plan using their own understanding? Is anyone starting with Abraham, a childless senior adult, to be the father of Israel? Who would have thought David would be the right king? Why was Joseph the chosen instrument of God instead of one of his senior brothers? Who would have thought that Jesus would be born of Mary in Bethlehem? In absolutely every case, God chose to operate in a way that is counterintuitive and frankly foolish to the world. This is still the case today. God chooses to save people through the foolishness of the cross. He has designed the world to be one through the flawed people He has redeemed. 
He calls us to overwhelm the world with weapons of faith. In all these things, we must choose whether we will trust God's unorthodox and supernatural wisdom and method or our own ingenious strategies. The good news is that we can be liberated when we choose to rely on the Lord. It means that we don't have to devise a good strategy or come up with our own way. Instead, our job is to lean into God's design and trust in His revelation of His will. The rest is up to Him to orchestrate. Point to Ponder, October 29th, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. The term faith is often used in a very specific way. When the word faith is used in conversation, it is often meant to denote saving faith, or the moment of conversion. To be clear, this is a legitimate way to use the term, and it has biblical warrant. Nevertheless, the term has a far more wide-ranging use than just the moment of justification. According to Paul, there is a sense in which you and I walk by faith for the rest of our lives, and this culminates in our ultimate joy of, quote, keeping the faith. What Paul means here has to do with perseverance. Perseverance in the faith means that we walk by it all the days of our lives. Obviously, we will not be perfect in our keeping of the truth, but this does not mean that we will not genuinely walk in the truth, and we see this outlined for us in Paul's life. What did he mean when he said that he had kept the faith? He means that he continued to press into the Lord Jesus Christ, relying on him for justification. He means that he faithfully carried out his charge to preach the gospel. He means that he continued to remain steadfast in his conviction that Jesus is Lord, and therefore Jesus should be obeyed. In every respect, Paul kept the faith. Keeping the faith is hard at some times and easier at others. The real pinch when in the faith-filled life occurs when we are tempted to lean on our own understanding. It is in the moments that we don't see what God is doing or when we don't want to follow God in the hard situations and circumstances that keeping the faith is tested. We must understand that the faith-filled journey is one of constant struggle. It is not easy to keep the faith. In fact, we must have supernatural empowerment if we are going to walk in the truth. Nevertheless, it is equally true that we must persist if we are truly in the faith. I belabor the point to express the fact that I worry about many today who call themselves Christians. At some point, the church in general, and preachers in particular, have so lowered the bar that a one-time prayer or emotional moment passes for faith. While we do not deny that prayers and emotions come with faith, we must understand that walking in the faith is a lifelong endeavor. Those who have been saved should live in such a way that they can echo Paul's words. May we all keep the faith day by day through obedience and joyful expectation that our great God is working all things out according to His will, even in the moments that require our sacrifice or seem hopeless to our finite minds.